we have three rules on, on my marketing team and everybody has to live them. The first rule is see everything through the customer's eyes. Okay. okay. The second rule is see everything through your other customer, which is sales. And then the third one is see everything through the one who keeps the customer happy, which is customer success. Listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to the 119th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome James Gilbert to the show. James, which is a great name, by the way, (laughs) he is the head of marketing at CRM Next, host of the Banking on Experience podcast, which I highly recommend that you subscribe to as well if you're not already subscribed, and a fellow father of four kids. James believes that the biggest gap in today's world is our lack of being human at every turn, which I'm going to ask you more about in a minute. So with that, welcome to the show, James. James, Robert, I I don't hold a candlestick to, to your show and what you're doing on digital growth. So thank you so much for having me on here. I think I, I'm, I'm honored to be on. Man, no, we're all in this together, and and it's it's a rising tide raises all ships. So you bring a voice and a perspective, I bring a voice and perspective. Brett King brings a voice and a perspective. Jim Maroose brings a voice. We're all bringing something, and it's the sum of all of that which encourages us and really helps us to all be better. And and it's my hope back to that point that that we can bring a little bit of humanity to this conversation here today, starting with. What is just one thing that you are excited about personally, professionally, your pick, go. I think what I'm the most excited about is just the opportunity that exists in front of us to make an impact from a marketing perspective at organizations. I think that for a long time now, um, I mean, really, when you think about it, the CMO role and the, 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 the leader marketing role has not been around terribly long. And we're seeing now a giant shift of that role. Um, be focused more on data and the customer experience. And I'm excited about that because like, that's what I'm really, really passionate about are, are those two areas when it comes to marketing. And I think far too often marketers lose sight of that and in, in their journey and what they're trying to build. Let's talk about that. Making an impact, marketing making an impact, a focus on data, but really using that data to inform and optimize this experience because as you know marketing can lose lose sight of that sales can can lose sight of that and i want to come back to the point that you mentioned uh, as as i mentioned before which is in your your linkedin bio where you note that the biggest gap in today's world is our lack of being human at every turn what does this gap look like for you here cuz i like that's a that's a keen observation well, I don't want to be too controversial, but um, I mean, if you think about everything that happened in our world this last year with COVID, regardless of what you believe politically, I think that oftentimes we 
we get caught into the social media cancel culture. And it's not a human way to approach things. People make mistakes. They have bias. There's no way to get around that bias. They're going to have them. And so it's a matter of how we approach it in a human interaction. So mm -hmm. I, I often think about like when I disagree with my mom, okay, um, am I going to go at her like I like like people do on social media? I'm not, right? I, I have a I have a nice conversation. I understand her perspective. And I think that that's what is lacking in the world is just some empathy behind conversations, um, some empathy behind where people are coming from and understanding that you cannot change people's bias. What you can do is have an impact to help them understand why you feel different. Man, you're giving, I'm not, I'm not even like, you're giving me goosebumps because I think you're touching on something that I'm personally passionate about which is just to bring a level of understanding to both sides of a conversation, to both sides of a table, because the only way to do that is through dialogue. It's through discourse. It's through conversation. And it's going into that conversation with empathy and I think a little bit too with an open mind, what can I learn from this experience and, and not coming in thinking, it's almost like it's, I'm going to quote a little bit of Star Wars wisdom with Yoda. You must unlearn what you have learned. Um, and, and, and that is so critically important because if we're going to understand it, I, I think if we shut the conversation down before it begins, we've all lost at that point, right? Well, and you saw a complete divide happen within our own country. And I still think this is happening like with so many different issues. And now you're seeing, seeing it come to the front steps of every business. And um, you're seeing businesses take initiatives with tough social subjects where they're trying to uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, they're putting out a lot of fluff. Okay. And actions. No substance you feel? Yes. Yes. Very little substance. They're, they're using it as a ploy. Mm. Um, and I think that part of the reason why that is, is because all of us, so many of us are so afraid to have conversations because we're afraid we're going to get canceled. And I just think that, uh, you know, how I've grown up is, is, you know, to see others for who they can become, um, to, to love everyone for, for, for that aspect and to, to not see, you know, the color of people's skin, to not see cultural differences because they're going to be there. Yeah. Can't that. Yeah. You know, I, at the foundation of every relationship, is respect. This was a model and, and this was in banking on digital growth. And it's something that my wife and I came up together with, and, and probably she gets more credit for it than me because we, we've, we've done marriage prep over the years and, you know, probably have prepped God, over a hundred, 200 couples. Um, some was it in a group setting. Some of it was just one-on-one. -on -one. And what we found is when we look at these relationships, there were really three patterns of that could kind of predict future success but at the foundation was respect um respect for the other person and and sometimes you would find we would find that there wasn't a respect in 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 the, the way that they treated and they talked in the conversation um the next level up is trust 
And trust is built upon two things, what you say and what you do. And that pinnacle of the relationship is love, which is is commitment. And I think we can see that in in a business setting, in a marketing setting, in a sell oh. setting. But I always like the uh, the ancient wisdom of um, uh, uh, of Thomas Aquinas with, with what what how he defines this, which is love is to will the good of another person. Like I and, and this is what I'm I'm trying to teach my kids. Like I. I want the best for you and I hope that you want the best for someone else. And 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 to this point, I, I think it's a, it, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out. You just went on vacation uh, with your family. Great time to get away. But there's a problem because I saw on LinkedIn that you came back to well over a thousand emails in your inbox. 85% of them were sales pitches. And you noted, and I agree with you, this has to change because this is not how you do marketing. This is not how you do sales. This is not willing the good of another person, if you will. And so I bring this up because as we analyze digital secret shopping experiences for financial brands in our Banking on Digital Growth program, and while we benchmark these experiences against competitors as well, for many, the marketing and sales communication that we see in coming into the inbox is almost exactly like what you noted on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. And and so I, why is this? Why do you think we're in the state that we're in from what you experienced coming out, you know, a week of the off out of the office and coming back? And then what we're seeing with, with secret shopping, there's a there's a correlation there. Why is this? I think there's twofold, right? We had a lot less human interaction physically um, during the pandemic, which caused a flood digitally to happen. Mm. Um, So now you're seeing a flood of that happen. You're also seeing a flood of technology be developed um, with smaller technology companies that are coming in and playing as a niche. So if you look at like the chief MarTech slide, I think like two years ago, it was right around like 6,500 total companies. Now it's like, I I believe it's above 9,000. Okay. And 2011, it was about 150 because we've been tracking that. Yeah. And I mean, just think about that for a second. So I think part of the problem is the vast amount of technology that's out there. You have individual contributors Um, at companies that are looking to solve a specific need. So they go out and pitch this technology to somebody and then they bring it on, but then they don't have adoption across the whole organization. I mean, I saw this um, a lot at the company that we we got acquired by, which was Cisco. They had a lot of technology that existed all over the place with all their acquisitions that they were acquiring. And we went through an audit process of like what all those companies that were being acquired and how much overlap of technology there was. And even in a massive organization like Cisco, there's tons of overlap. And I think that you're, you're having this happen, right? And then, you're, then everybody not being in a physical world, trying to communicate digitally has created that problem. But I think there's an even bigger one, which is a grave misunderstanding of what the customer experience really is about, which is why I, um, I put that in my LinkedIn because I truly believe that. If, if we, we have three rules on, on my marketing team um, and everybody has to um, live them. Um, the first rule is see everything through the customer's eyes. Okay? Mm-hmm. The second rule is see everything through your other customer, which is sales. And then the third one is see everything through the one who keeps the customer happy, which is customer success. Service, yep. 
And um, by doing this, like you put yourself in the shoes of, of being like a prospect or anything like that. Um, I hate getting automated messages. I, I hate it, right? Um, I think it's unbecoming. I think it, take, it's, it takes just as much time for you to send me a personal email and do just a tiny bit of research than it does to build an entire sequence over a, a four-month period and it all be automated. I mean, think about that for a second. And I think too often, from my experience, even being in the customer experience world before I came over here to CRM Next, was sales is very rarely held accountable to the negative impact that they have on the customer experience. And this is no knock on sales. It's just the truth. Yeah. There is very little, if any, accountability to being human in a sales process. Uh, everybody's a number. Everybody's a revenue target. Everybody's a pipeline or opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it out. I'm just going to say it how it is. Everyone, typically in sales, everyone's a means to an end. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of what I, I, I think that that's the biggest gap in the world today. It's why there's very little relationship building that happens in sales processes, why sales might set an unrealistic expectation and then they become a customer and then it falls flat with customer success and then customer success gets blamed because the expectation wasn't set ahead of time. So the truth is, you know, about 80% of people that I talk to who have an interest in joining the Banking on Digital Growth program, 80% I guide to somewhere else. Um, it's they're not, it's just not a good fit, and, and it's nothing personal. I'm very honest with them, and a lot of that is not it's not a it's not the issue there. It's more of a larger cultural organizational issue that I know if they were to come in, it would almost do more harm than good. And then the other thing too is, and this comes back to the point of just having I think very real honest conversations. Um, that like let's lean into that because when we lean into that. To me, that's it's 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 in the pain, it's in those difficult discussions. I think that's where the biggest growth happens. And so when when we look out, and 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 it was funny because you asked a very similar question on your podcast as well. But I, I'd be cu curious to get your take. Biggest belief that financial brands have right now about marketing and sales. What do you disagree with? And to put it bluntly, where might others be wrong? <laughs> And why do you feel this way? I think the biggest area that I disagree with is um, that you can't make every interaction human. I, I truly believe you can. Uh, I think that you're just being lazy. I mean, that's the honest truth of it. You're trying to find technology to automate. You're trying to bring on more people to automate those processes. And I think that um, sometimes it's a matter of spending a little bit of extra time with your cross-functional teams to, to, to build something that is meaningful. A good example, James Robert, you were on, you were a judge of our right on the money contest. Yep. Right? Um, we we purposefully with that campaign wanted us to not be part of the judging committee. Yep. Because we wanted it to be organic and real, right? And I think too often we we get scared because we might be putting spend towards something that we feel like we have to control it more. And part of us being human is allowing people to be human and they're going to naturally go through their channels. They're going to naturally go online. That's what people do. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same type of conversation that I have with so many other marketers and teaching them about attribution, right? And how that becomes such a big problem because they don't know how to attribute their impact, right? Well, the impact really is 
when you ask people that have engaged with your brand, do they find the engagement meaningful? I mean, to me, that's really what it is. If they don't find it meaningful, then what's the point? Technology has transformed our world and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to because James Robert wrote the book that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits now back to the show and i think i mean i've been doing a lot and have had a lot of conversations and probably will continue to have a lot of conversations of scaling almost i think scaling humanity but through technology and that doesn't necessarily mean automation it just gives us a multiplying effect yes. of reach of scale video i I, I've made it almost a daily habit to get on LinkedIn. I see something and maybe it's someone got a new um, job. Uh, I can just recently think of someone that I've known for about 10 years, just moved up into a CEO position. And I sent this person a 30, 45 second loom video saying, hey, congratulations on this new opportunity. You know, it's been so good to watch your growth over the past 10 years. I remember when we first met, it was at a conference in San Diego. We were in a hallway. It was beautiful sunlit over the, looking over the bay. And like, I see, it, it's like, I, it's just a habit that I've gotten into because I really do care to make these connections go deeper. Imagine if a branch manager, a loan officer just took, 10 minutes a day to do something and then they just work through a list you know that's one person that's 360 well take out weekends so double up 365 days you get 100 people doing that that's 36,000 people well especially in the financial services space like technology is like naturally getting a really bad rap right just because adoption is tough um, being able to integrate into the systems that really matter, like a core is tough, right? But I think that one of the things that naturally happens is when you can bridge technology and the human side of, of how you interact with people, I mean, that's core to, I think, what, you know, specifically in the financial services, the credit union movement is all about. Like they want to have that relationship. They want to have those human interactions. Um, but technology can sometimes get in the way of that. They, have, they might have too much of it. So how do they consolidate it so that they make the day-to-day -day of every single person at that organization um, easier so that they can actually have those meaningful conversations? One of the things that we just recently shared in our digital growth community, insider community, was uh, something that I've, I've talked about and written about perfectly, but technology, I think we, we lose sight of what technology is. And we put so much emphasis on like technology being the thing that's going to 
transform us or going to save our organization. And I'm like, no, technology is nothing more than a tool that can just bring two people together for good. Just like we're doing right now in this conversation. I mean, imagine three years ago, like, I don't think we'd be doing this. At least I would, but I don't think it would be the, it would have had the acceptance. And I know you would, I just don't think it would have the acceptance of what it would have been three years ago, two years ago, even. And, and so I want to dig into this because you just had recently had a conversation with Michelle Peterson, who's the uh, chief member experience officer over at a plus credit union um, on, on the banking on experience podcast. And once again, dear listener, go subscribe to, to James's conversations that he's having because they're really good. There's a lot to learn there. And in this conversation with Michelle, y'all were talking about this command and control leadership style that has just reigned so long in the banking space and how that command and control, and we were even touching on this, I think, before we hit record, that command and control leadership style it's probably met its expiration date. Um, and I'm seeing this through the coaching that we're doing with financial brands. When you think about command and control, where's the challenge when it comes to deploying some of this new thinking that you're talking about, using technology to connect people, not relying too much on automation, but thinking of it as, as an experience. How might command and control be limiting the potential and be the hindrance? And then what's the solution? What's the path forward beyond that? Well, it's interesting because we were, we were talking about this before we hit record. And one of the things that we've ran into on the podcast more than anything is, is a focus on just cultural externally and internally um, focuses on DEI and being able to address social issues as a, as a, as a brand and a company. And the tough part is, is part of that, people think DEI is just a focus on minorities and it's not, it's, it's deeper than that. It's also a younger generation, right? That's coming up into leadership. Yep. What are their values? And I think what we're seeing in this industry is a shift now where you're having an older generation come to the age of retirement. And now a younger generation is needing to come in and, and be leaders, but they haven't been developed that way. Um, and I think this command and control leadership style is trying to control every little thing that they're doing um, without allowing autonomy to happen within your team. And I think that what we need to see more of is leadership take more of an autonomy approach and understand that there's certain people on your team that are going to be very strategic thinking. There's other people on your team that are going to be a lot more tactical thinking. And you need both. And you don't need to force one into a different role. And you also can't just promote people based on they did really, really well and they're performing really, really well because they might just want to be an individual contributor and you can't force somebody into managing people if that's not their skill set and what they want to do. Yes. And, you know, some some resources for that, because this has been a conversation that I've been having with leaders in marketing, leaders in sales, leaders moving into the leadership team. They don't they don't necessarily have the confidence, the deep confidence needed to go to that next level. And as a leader, your confidence, that's your most important thing. When you start to lose your confidence, it shows. And it's like, 
do everything possible to protect that. And you're going to have some good days. You're going to have some bad days. And, you know, it's one of the things that, that, that I'm writing about in Banking on Change. Like, you can either be growth-bound or you can be stuck in the growth gap. And the growth gap is where you're just constantly griping about problems. And two books come to the top of my mind. One is Leading Right for the First Time by David C. Baker, who has advised me over the years. And then another one is one called The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever by Michael uh, Bungay uh, Steiner, I think is his name, if my memory serves correct. Because it's this idea of coaching, to me, is something that I'm very fascinated with from a leadership perspective, because it helps guide someone. It's almost like when I write about banking on digital growth, you know, being the helpful guide, but now it's more of an internal like experience. And you're talking about these ideas of you got different customers, you got your external customers, members, prospects, but then you also have the internal from a marketing lens of, of sales and, and, and then that of service. How, what are the opportunities to, for, for, for coaching here to, to help guide someone beyond change? Cause change is painful. Change is scary. It's easy for someone to get stuck in the cave of complacency but how might we be able to help coach people through those experiences to provide a path forward around optimizing marketing, optimizing sales, optimizing experiences? What are your thoughts on that? I know this might sound like a surface level answer, but um, I still think it's relevant. And I think that one of the areas is we have to be willing as leaders to let go of control and we have to be willing to Mm let failures happen. And what I mean by that is it doesn't mean you expect a failure to happen. It means that you let people own something and be accountable to it and don't punish them because it might come up short. And I think that too often leaders are trying to get their hands in everything because they see something and they're like, oh, actually that's not how I want it done. And so they they get their hands in it and they try to fix it and it's not a coaching moment. What if we actually put the responsibility back on the leader that there is a learning opportunity, there's a growth opportunity for that leader to become even better at communicating what the expectation is to the person who's having to execute against that leader's vision? To me, that's a massive growth opportunity, and that's a you know it's it's something that takes time, it takes practice, it it it, it is going to take some failure, but but failure is. That's the fertile seeds from which new growth springs anew. And and I want to talk about failure because it's something I know many struggle with. They share their concerns with me privately. So let's peel back the curtain here because, you know, how how do you handle change? How do you handle failure? How you you react in stressful situations is a great judge of character. It's something that's a post that you just put on LinkedIn recently. It's where we can learn a lot about people, learn a lot about teams, learn a lot about organizations. I think most importantly, learn about ourselves through these experiences. So how do you personally handle what some might call failure, others call setbacks, when something negative happens, doesn't go as planned and, and turns out? And what did you get? What did you learn from others through this experience in the post that you put on LinkedIn here? I know not everybody has, um, I have this deep passion to prove people wrong. Which <laughs> <laughs> is kind of part of who I am in some ways. A little, um, contrari- little contrarian. Yeah. Um, so I, I know not everybody um, has that or feels that way, but I think that's part of what I do is when I, when I fail and I, and I know somebody has seen that failure or recognizes that failure, 
I use that as motivation always. Um, I'm, I'm competitive in nature in that regard. Uh, and so I use it as motivation. And not everybody can make that switch, but I also think that, uh, you know, every single time I've ever consulted for a startup or been at a startup, um, it, it's always less green than you think it's going to be when you get there, right? Yeah. There's way more problems that people don't expose and don't talk about, which guess what are absolute failures. <laughs> and it's why, what is it? Less, less than 2% of startups actually make it. Correct. So if less than 2% of startups actually make it, so the, the knit and grit of the business world, right? Um, entrepreneurship and all of these big failures that do happen don't get exposed. I think that we have to be open as a society and a business um, and, and, and as a business world in talking about those failures so that we can all learn from each other, which is why you're seeing now a massive influx over the last year of community, right? Where you're having communities get together. You're having CMOs get with CMOs, CEOs get with CEOs, entrepreneurs that are at startups get with entrepreneurs at startups. And now they're having these really unique dialogues with each other. Yep talking about failures a, a little personal anecdote on this so the first 10 years of my business i was kind of like the lone ranger um you know i thought i knew it all i started this thing when i was 19 so it's i think there's that youthful pride youthful <laughs> arrogance but once again what does ancient wisdom tell you about pride pride goes before a downfall and a downfall it did come in 2012 while you know the business was great you know seven figures in revenue winning all these awards Behind the scenes, my life was falling apart. My wife was telling me, you know, we just had our second child, and it's the uh, it's the family or the business because you've, you've you're not very balanced, and and I wasn't, and so I had to call in outside help. I had to get someone to to really show me a, a better path forward, and I knew that I wanted both. I knew I wanted to continue to grow the business. I knew I wanted to keep my family together, um, but I couldn't do it because I just didn't know. And by and I said since that time. I am always going to have a coach, a guide, an advisor, be part of some type of community. And it's because of that that I attribute to just not not being by myself. Because um, I found that when I by myself, I sometimes psych myself out and I don't know. It's just not a, it's not a good place to be. Man, this has been a, like, I think we've brought the humanity on this one today. <laughs> Got uh, got a little personal on, on a couple of things, which has been great. I want to wrap up with two, two, one, one, one more question. Get real practical here at the end. As 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 financial brands, banks, credit unions continue down their digital growth journey, what is one recommendation, something very practical, that they can start doing with their marketing and sales strategies just to optimize experiences? Something something small that they could could apply. Get them in the same room. Mm. I mean, I know that sounds, again, surface level, but you're lending, you're marketing, they're doing two totally different things, and they very rarely know what each other is doing. And by the way, I would even add, bring your service organization service. into that realm as well. Absolutely. You'd be surprised how oftentimes the service organization can become a growth opportunity for lending and marketing. And when you kind of bring that together um, under under one shop i think that it, it makes the world of a difference i'll never forget i was facilitating a very similar conversation between a marketing team and a sales team and it was almost like some somewhat of a therapy session because i saw the the disarming of both sides and a growing mutual respect 
transpire over about a 90 minute conversation to where I just, I just asked some really good questions and, and speaking about conversation, someone's listening, they want to continue to learn from you. Obviously there's the banking on experience podcast, but how else can they connect with you? What's the best way for them to reach out and say hello? Reach out to me via LinkedIn. I, I am, uh, I, I try to get back to everybody. Um, that's just, again, part of what I believe in is being human in every interaction. So connect with James, listen to James, learn from James. James, this has been fantastic. A lot of fun today. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of banking on digital growth. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, James, Robert, as always. And until next time, be well, do good and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.